Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome back to the Career Catharsis Podcast. I'm your host, Neha Koram. Today, I will be chatting with Arielle Miranda Goldberg, who's had a career in communications in the banking space, as well as founding her own interior design firm. Today, we'll be chatting about tips and tricks to shake up your space and how to make your home office shine and give you the energy you need to channel it into your work and do your best, feel your best at home while separating and creating boundaries between work and life. Hi, Ariel. So nice to have you on the Career Catharsis podcast today. Excited to be diving into your background and learning more about what you do. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'd love for listeners to get a better sense of your journey. I know that you've been in the banking space for a while and you're also the founder of your own Uh, design consultancy. So if you could give us a little bit of a tour of your professional journey, that'd be great. Sure. I started out in the journalism industry uh, around the same time the newspaper industry was tanking. So I made the decision to inquire about opportunities at the call center where I was working for US Bank uh, that I could do with my journalism degree. So I found we had an internal news website made a couple emails, found some names, and I was really, really lucky that that team was actually hiring someone and they were based in Cincinnati. Uh, We have offices all over uh, the globe, so it was kind of a shot in the dark, but um, I've been at US Bank doing communications for 15 years now. So um, I, I really like it because it is basically everything I learned to do in journalism, except for a very, very specific group of people, which is employees. I do a lot of internal communication, some external communication, and nowadays it's all related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is also a really fun topic to work on and sort of a rebellious one for the banking industry. Right, yeah, I I love that you mentioned diversity, equity, and inclusion as sort of a rebellious space. I know that there's been a lot of talk about DE&I in recent times in particular. I know that it's not something that any company has, you know, um, perfectly executed in terms of programs and initiatives, but it's it's really promising to see the space growing and companies recognizing that, you know, it, it truly is its own function. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about how, how you kind of either, um, you know, get space from your banking um, job through your design consultancy or how you kind of see them tied together, if at all. Sure. Yeah. So I started my interior design work uh, last last fall. So during the thick of the pandemic, when I was stuck at home, basically had run out of spaces in my own home to redo or redecorate and wanted to try my hand uh, at other people's rooms. Mm. So I um, took a business class and founded an LLC and um, started getting clients early this year. So it's been very exciting. Um, As far as getting time to do it, it's definitely a tough balance. I have to make very specific time to work on the design stuff outside of my normal nine to five. So a lot of evenings, a lot of weekends, um, a lot of vacation days that I used to go install at clients' houses or do other work for the um, 
for the design studio. So a lot, a lot of, a lot of balance and a lot of planning, um, it goes into that. I think one thing that I've taken, uh, there's a couple of things that I've taken from my corporate communications job to apply with my design studio. One would be obviously communication work. I know so much about writing. Um, I've studied it through undergrad, like I mentioned in journalism, I did a master's degree in communication because I just love the topic that communication can really be anything from art to writing to verbal communication to body language. So it's super fascinating. Um, that has really informed a lot of the way I approach my design work and talking about it on social media and on my website and, um, and all that good stuff. And then because I'm so close to the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, one of the things I'm trained to do with my design work is look for products that are ethically made or align with somebody's values. So for example, if you wanted to support more Black-owned businesses, that would be something I look for when I'm sourcing products for your room or paint for your room. Um, that's, that's something that not a lot of interior designers mm -hmm. were doing, um, especially before last summer when... Um, everything happened with our protests and things like that in the US and across the globe. Yeah, for sure. I think that design can have that element of social good in terms of sourcing products that are ethically produced and or supporting, you know, whether it's a social group or any other social cause. Um, so what are some projects that you're currently working on that you'd like to share with us? Sure. A lot of home offices. So as you can imagine, the pandemic, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> pandemic made people love or hate their homes because um, a lot of us were lucky enough to spend a lot of time there. Um, I, I've done mostly home offices. I've done some living spaces as well, but all residential so far. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where I want to keep focusing because I think there's just so much personality you can infuse into a house in a way that um, commercial design uh, doesn't really account for. Um, people mm -hmm. in their offices are looking to get a little more daring, I think, than, than they might have before the pandemic, um, just because people are used to their space. They're looking for a little shakeup to keep things mm -hmm. new and interesting in their home. And also because I think people spend a lot of time understanding what they like and don't like through that uh, 18 months and counting. Um, <laughs> we're not quite out of it yet. But <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, people have done a lot of self-reflection and I think that is reflected in their design choices too. That's so true. I think everyone has had a moment to pause in some shape or form and, you know, everyone that is new to working from home is now at a point where, okay, I got to make sure that if I'm going to be working from home permanently, as is the case for many people now, it's a comfortable space, but it's also an energizing space, right? So I'm sure that you can help um, identify not only what's going to be comfortable and practical, but also, I guess, as you mentioned, shaking things up and, and making it a fun space, right? Yeah, yeah. And a dual uh, purpose space for a lot of people too, because once they're done working, I know for me personally, I loved the ability to come home and not have anything around me that reminded me of the office. I was able to just completely shift gears. And now you have to create that space really mindfully in your own home if you have that sort of a role. 
That's a great point. I think for people whose workstations are visible, it might feel like work is kind of staring them in the face at every mm -hmm. hour of the day. Um, what are some tips that you could share for anyone that might be looking to maybe conceal or, um, as you mentioned, make their workstation a dual space so that they can kind of maybe shut off or get some space from you know their, their day job? Yeah, that's a great question. I think drawers and cabinets are very helpful. Literally put your laptop behind something or whatever it is you work on. Um, if, the, if possible, put it away so you don't see it. That would be number one tip. Um, if you also have enough room in your office to be doing other things, like in this office, I work and I also have a piano and I have my gaming computer and we do crafts on this table behind me. So there's a lot of other stuff going on in this space and you can use um, rugs or wall color to create zones for the room mm -hmm. and sort of delineate like where different activities go on. So that might give you some help too. And then number three, I would say is lighting. So if you have a lot of natural light during the day, but want something a little more relaxing, like for reading in the same room at night, um, get some warm yellow light that you can turn on as a reading lamp. Um, try to avoid anything that's bright and white in the evening so that you can feel a little more relaxed. Yeah, so basically playing around with lighting to create cozier vibes mm -hmm. at nighttime if you're gonna be using this space. And then something else that you mentioned there was creating different zones, whether it's through wall color or carpets. And then you mentioned the first tip, which is a really good one. I gotta find a way to do this, um, <laughs> is to get um, either cabinets or drawers and make sure that your computer is either behind a cabinet or your laptop is in a drawer somewhere. I think that could help so much with sleep for people that have their office in their bedroom. So I actually just moved my workstation into the living room because I felt like when I was waking up, the first thing I would see is my monitor and that's not the way you want to wake up. So no. <laughs> um, I think just creating a bit of space between me and my monitor has been amazing. But you know, it's, it's kind of been a weird, weird move because when I walk into my apartment now, you immediately see uh, my living space with my workstation before it was a TV, which was sort of like the norm. But it just goes back to what you said about COVID, you know, allowing us or giving us the permission to do what we like versus, you know, have sort of like, you know, a standard space that maybe we were more used to in pre-COVID times. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the last home office I did, they, the client wanted space to do yoga, to read, to write, to work, to play VR video games. I was like, okay, all right, we can make this all work in the same room. That's no problem. But it was definitely like, how much negative space do we leave for mm -hmm. things like VR, where you need a lot of like room for your limbs to move around um, and also make it cozy enough to read in there too. Yeah, so it sort of sounds like kind of blending lifestyle design into that interior design and not just kind of going mm -hmm. for what's going to look good in this space, but what's actually going to feel good and, and be a usable space, right? Exactly. Yeah, there's definitely a balance between aesthetic and function for sure. Mm -hmm. So what types of clients do you typically work with and how can they find you? Uh, yeah, so clients I work with are generally, um, like I said, residential, so homeowners. Um, I am happy to also do apartments. I love doing homes because we have a little more freedom with wow. the kinds of things we can put up or take down. 
Um, I work in the Cincinnati area for clients in person, but I can also do virtual consults anywhere. Um, those are where I would give somebody like a shopping list to go do the shopping and the install on their own, but I would help kind of guide them through what the room should look like and help them with the measurements and things like that. Um, but if it's in the Cincinnati area, I can do, do it all. Um, and yeah, a lot of it, a lot of the people that have been reaching out to me through my network and like, I'm just starting out. So a lot of it are, a lot of my clients are people I know, um, people they know. So a lot yeah. of, a lot of snowballing there. Um, a lot of them are homeowners who haven't really been in their home a long time, but are ready to start personalizing it. So people who are moving from that renter mindset of, oh, I can't change the walls. I can't do anything that's not able to be taken with me. Mm. You're really inhabiting a space that they make the rules for and helping them see what kind of possibility there might be in knocking out a wall or changing some kind of structural thing or like removing a door or things like uh, they could really open up your space that you might not realize you have the permission to do. Mm -hmm. It's a whole new realm of expression when you have the ownership to make those kinds of changes, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, with, with taking down walls or using cool colors or funky colors, if you will, that aren't, you know, necessarily the neutral tones, um, not having to worry, you know, about putting things back together and really just creating, creating a long-term space that you're going to be happy with. So that's, that's a really cool, um, you know, piece that you get to help out with, because I'm sure that, um, as you mentioned, with the renter mindset, people might feel a bit limited with what they can do. Uh, but I'm sure that there's some creativity there, too. Um, what are some tips for kind of shaking things up for any renters? Yeah, so for renters, I would suggest wallpaper. Uh, a lot of companies make removable wallpaper now. So it's mm -hmm. super easy to stick on and take off. I mean, they even have it at Lowe's at this point. Um, so, so the removable wallpaper, I would also recommend not being afraid to hang things on the walls, but just understanding how to cover it back up when you're done. If you are renting, your spaces are likely a neutral shade uh, on the walls and that should be pretty easy to color match. So I would say hang stuff up. And then once you're done, learn how to spackle over the hole and then just take a little piece of the paint from the wall and um, take it into the hardware store, color match it, paint over it, you're done. Um, any, basically anything that you can clean up after or hide is fine. Um, I would also say start building spaces that you would like to keep with you for a long time. So finding statement pieces, like mm -hmm. um, I have this really amazing olive green velvet ottoman that I saved up for when I was renting um, from like urban outfitters or something. Like it was the first piece of furniture. I was like, I have to have this. I'm going to save up all my money for this green ottoman. And that's been something that I've moved from room to room and house to house. And it's had a fun, you know, space in lots of different designs. So if you can find things that really make you excited to own them, either because of how they look or the story behind them, that will go with you from apartment to apartment or from apartment to house. Um, you can start building that collection now, just like you would with clothes and starting mm -hmm. to build um, your wardrobe. 
So true. You don't want to be tossing things out as you're moving, right? You want those collectible pieces, those classic pieces or something that's really core to who you are so that, you know, in 10 years, maybe, um, you know, you, you've got this really cool piece that stands out and, and really just ties in with your personality, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So what would you say, you know, you've, you've had a really rich career in terms of staying at the bank and growing with the bank for how many years was it? 15, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, you've got a bit more of a unique story than, you know, um, the current trend where people are kind of job hopping a lot. So it is, it's nice to kind of see that, you know, there is still kind of hope for folks to have that kind of loyalty with an employer. So with that in mind, what's the most impactful advice that you've received that you'd like to pass on? And maybe this is something you pull from your founder journey as well. I love it. Um, so, so it's funny you mentioned not job hopping because every now and again, uh, I do apply for other positions just to see what's out there and test the waters. I love my job right now and I have no desire to escape it for mm-hmm. any reason. I love the people I work with. I love the topic I'm, you know, covering. Um, I have a really great time at work. I make it super fun. I think that's a mindset thing. And I think it's totally in my control to make the corporate world a fun place. That said, being at the same company 15 years gives you no sense of what's out there. So I like to interview for different roles. I like to do informational interviews with people who do the same thing I do at other companies. Um, I like to see what other communicators are doing in other industries at other banks, whatever it is. I'm, I think that's the journalist in me wanting to interview. Um, so one, during one of these interviews, I, I had written a wacky cover letter. Like it was something that I put together to literally be the most me that I could. And Mm -hmm. this is something that I've, I've already, I've always had a very strong sense of self, but I feel like I'm already at that stage that I, old women that I admire are at where they just say whatever they want and they like whatever (laughs) they want and they don't care. (laughs) So I'm I'm already there in my mid thirties. I'm already at that stage. Yeah. And that's how I wrote this cover letter. And this job was something that I don't know, as women, we always think this, but I don't know that I was 100% qualified for it. Mm-hmm. It was in an industry that's totally different than banking. It was a long shot, but a company that I would have I would have liked to work for. Um, that interviewer told me that I was being interviewed right then because of the cover letter I wrote, I wrote specifically and that it caught their attention. And, and what he said was keep doing that. And I was kind of like, well, yeah, this job's about writing. Yeah. I'm going to keep writing like (laughs) a little bit like, yeah, that's part of the job. Um, (laughs) But it it helped me realize that you know, there's AP style rules and there's writing guidelines and brand guidelines and all the different things that people in their different roles have to adhere to. But the one thing that makes you stand out and, and makes you unique is your own voice. And so if there are opportunities to throw that in when it's appropriate, by all means, take it. And it has, hearing that being my weird 100% bizarre self as much as I could in this letter caught somebody's attention and made them want to talk to me helped me have more courage to not just use my own voice in you know my design work on social media or be a little weird in the pictures or videos that I make on social media for my design account but 
it also helped me in my corporate role in encouraging other people to be a little goofier or more themselves and get better quotes or my articles and get better anecdotes for the stories I want to tell. So it just really re-energized me and mm. reinforced for me that the one thing we all carry around that is unique is our personality and ourselves and to let that shine through, even if you're in the corporate world. Yeah, I love that. I think a lot of people kind of struggle to self-monitor and find a balance between being authentic and, and moder- monitoring yourself for the situation or the context or, um, or to be likable, right? Um, and, and as a result, some people might mute their personality, which as you mentioned, is a lot of the times you're, or really it's essential to being your superpower, right? Your unique set of skills, experiences, and, and the way that you express yourself. Um, so I always like to think of the idea of being your best self, right? Um, I feel like that truly is a piece of being authentic, um, but also being respectful and mindful and, and still resonating with your audience, right? Yeah, 100%. That is so cool that they interviewed you based on your cover letter, because I think the cover letter has been a dying form that um, a lot of people either don't want to put in the effort to write or they think nobody's reading it because the truth is a lot of people aren't reading it. But as you mentioned, for a writing position, it is more likely that the cover letter is going to be read and examined and might be the thing that actually gets you in. So um, really good to hear that cover letters are, are still, you know, a powerful tool in, in getting your way into, into an organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely surprised me because yeah. I'm in that camp of people who thinks, well, nobody's going to read this, so I'll just have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's so great that just by having fun and being yourself, you, you got that interview. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the initiatives that you're proud of and want to share with listeners that are hoping to make a difference through the work that they do? Oh, good question. So I would say part of my design work I mentioned earlier is seeking out um, underrepresented businesses or Mm -hmm. businesses that are in line with somebody's values. So I like to go, obviously, I have my own personal values that I like to throw in, like supporting women and supporting local businesses and small businesses, um, supporting sustainability, that kind of thing. But depending on the client, I want to customize that to what they're interested in as well. Um, I don't think I would compromise my values to go with a client's values that are in conflict with that. So just to be super clear, I have had that thought as well. Like, well, what if they value something that I really don't? Um, And that would be a no. But I love the idea of adding more um, small businesses and small um, shops Mm -hmm. into the sourcing realm. So in interior design, a lot of the things that people are buying for their clients are either super high-end and custom and like expensive, Mm -hmm. frankly, or they are from stores that are larger. Um, I, if I do find something from a large store, I like to at least make sure it's like West Elm is a great example. They have Mm -hmm. a very specific set of guidelines that they try and follow and try and adhere to in terms of sustainability, fair wages, um, ethical treatment of their laborers, like all of this kind of stuff. But yeah, but at some point that becomes very difficult to monitor, right? Like a company like West Elm, just to use them as an example, again, like 
they have so much that they're selling to so mm-hmm. many people. And my guess is there's a lot of different places that all of that stuff comes from and a lot of different people involved in that supply line. So while it's great that they have a website with that specifically spells out their values, it's a very slim chance that I'm going to ever meet the person who built my chair or my couch that mm-hmm. I'm here. Mm-hmm. What I love is bringing in the artisans, the crafters, the, you know, carpenters that are actually making the furniture and the stuff for your house and having them have a say in the design of the item for the space. Mm -hmm. So whether it's like a piece of art you're hanging on the wall that you want to have a very specific size and a very specific maybe color palette or like a landscape you want to remember from a great Mm -hmm. vacation or something like that. Commissioning a piece like that to me does not always have to mean it's super expensive or it's going to be so much more money than something you could find in a store. There's plenty of people, no matter what city you're in across the world, that have those skills um, in art and design and carpentry. I mentioned like all the furniture building. I mean, you can, you can look for people in your area who literally make furniture. You might not think that there's somebody out there, but I have looked into it here in Cincinnati and they exist. They're out there and they're making furniture and you can buy it from them. Um, And those pieces are just so much more fun because you, you see the person who's making it and you talk to them and you exchange stories and you might really like them and, you know, buy more from them or at least see the chair and go, oh yeah, Jim made that or whatever. And (laughs) have that kind of connection to this piece in your house that you wouldn't necessarily get from buying it from a larger company. So to me, focusing small is one of my favorite parts of the job. Yeah. I don't always get the chance to do that depending on what we're looking for and what the budget is and how soon they need things. Mm. But the intention behind it, I think is the most important part. And I think the more that you look for those suppliers, the easier it becomes to form the relationships over time that you can go back to. So true, I think, especially for folks that are, you know, living in a long-term space or maybe they own their space, uh, maybe investing a little bit in, in you know, um, a custom-made, let's say, workstation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that might even be something that not only benefits small businesses that I know that have kind of taken a really big hit um, during the pandemic and are only just recovering, Um, but also just what you mentioned about there being connection or a story or a relationship or or meaning really behind that piece is is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for people who are renting or moving a lot, having something from the place that you were last or prior to that might be a really cool way to like build a visual history of your life too, and the different people you've supported along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. Just sort of like souvenirs, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know that you mentioned DE&I is the main topic that you kind of work on at the bank in your communications role. And um, you're also really keen on bringing it, you know, um, in with the design aspect. So what are, what are some tips that you have for folks that are either trying to integrate DEI in the workplace or in their business? The number one tip I have is elevate other people's voices. So a lot of times we hear companies saying we commit to this or we commit to that. 
but we don't see a lot of storytelling behind that. Like, well, what does that mean to me as a customer? Or what does that mean to the people in the communities you serve? So finding those examples that are really tangible where I, as the consumer judging the company, can put myself in someone else's shoes that they've helped, that is super powerful. What I always like to look for is a story that tells a hero's journey. I mean, it's like a classic literature arc where um, the main character encounters some kind of trial, gets some kind of help, and then overcomes it. And if you as the company can just position yourself as the person helping, not the hero, not the hero at all, just the person helping them along, uh, that really can help tell a better story than... um, reiterating data points or your commitments, which are also important to have out there and be transparent about, but people aren't going to remember that. They're going to remember a good story. Um, the other advice I have is be patient. Uh, it's <laughs> Especially if you're at a big company, diversity, equity, and inclusion is complex because a lot of people are at different points in their journey through those concepts, they might not even understand that they're important. They might not have any clue what, they might know what diversity is, but they might not have any clue what inclusion is, much less equity. So being patient and understanding that people are coming from different sets of knowledge and it might take a while for them to get on board. They might never be on board. And in that case, you as the company have to make a really hard maybe not that hard decision about, is that the kind of person you want working for your company? Yeah, um, We yeah. see that all the time when people make bad judgment calls and then the company gets, you know, blasted in the news for that. Mm-hmm. That is something people need to be aware of now. If your employees do not share the values you have, especially mm-hmm. of diversity, equity, and inclusion, they might put you in hot water at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the things I think to keep in mind is telling really clear engaging stories about what's actually the impact on people's lives versus the dollar amounts you're throwing out there. And number two, just remembering that it's, it's a long journey and not everybody's going to want to be on board and you can say goodbye to them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. I think just defining, defining those values, making sure that you are adding people to your team that are going to be values driven and and share that with you um, is so key in, in this piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thinking about your career, if, if there's any moment you could kind of look back to and think of as a highlight, what would that be? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I would say I I've had a lot of really interesting moments in my role at us bank. I mean, everything from like designing a company mascot to, um, making back in the days when print magazines were big, <laughs> we would make printed communications. I've done a lot of really fun stuff in that role, but I think that my, my biggest highlight is starting my business. So when I was a kid, I had a, a fake business, obviously it was, <laughs> it was called AMG enterprises, AMG are my initials. And I, I did a lot of stuff. I would, you know, write things. I would draw things. I would, um, I took fabric paint and like decorated pencils. Like, I don't know. I had a lot of stuff going on mm-hmm. and I thought it was going to be something that I did. Like I, I just could tell, I was like, I have to have a business at some point. And Honestly, I grew up without a lot of money and understanding of what like a corporate job was. So when I got this role, I was like, oh my gosh, 
like I can actually pay my bills. I can pay my student loans off. Like this is going to be crazy. And I kind of forgot about all of my, you know, dreams to like be an artist and do my own thing. And so founding my company, which I did call AMG Enterprises, um, oh, love it. like it's, it's incorporated name or whatever, yeah. uh, doing business as trend prescient, but but seeing that I have AMG Enterprises LLC like registered under my name gave me the biggest, you know, boost and and just sense of accomplishment. I was like, oh my gosh, it's finally, it's a real thing. And I may not have, you know, a ton going on in that realm yet, but just having made the thing and started the process has been, it, it's just made me feel like more of myself than I've ever been. And it's helped me be a better employee for US Bank because mm. it's not the only thing I'm thinking about. You know, I'm like getting a lot of other creative um, juices flowing elsewhere. And it's helped me be a better, you know, family member and friend because I have something that I'm super excited to talk to and uh, or talk about. And it's made me feel better about myself because everything that I do for my business is, something that I get to decide to learn or not. I get to decide to ask for help with. I get to meet new people. I get to put myself out there in a way that I didn't even think was that important before. Um, it, just being able to share my voice in this way has been super freeing and, and just really exciting for me. I love that. Well, big congratulations to you in founding AMG Enterprises. I think oftentimes... <laughs> looking back at our childhood is a great way to find find the secrets of success really right so thinking about mm -hmm. our inner desires and what it is that we really want to do not just what we wanted to do um, so it's really cool that you were able to bring this project to life and um, uh, thank you so much for sharing all all of your tips and tricks from design to communications to DEI to entrepreneurship. It's been so great chatting with you, Ariel. You too. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Career Catharsis podcast. I'm your host, Neha Koram. Feel free to connect with me on Instagram at coach.neha or on LinkedIn. Visit my website, nehakoram.com or my career coaching business, beamcareercoaching.com. I'd love to connect with you hear about your thoughts on the show. I'm open to feedback and I hope you subscribe for more career transformation and workplace wellness stories. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Career Catharsis podcast. It would mean the world to me if you shared this episode with somebody that you know to inspire someone to take the next step in their career. Send me your feedback at coach.neha.coram at gmail.com connect with me on Instagram at coach.neha or find me on LinkedIn. Simply type my name, Neha Koram, and you'll find me. Looking forward to connecting and see you next time.